Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Amen. Amen. You know, friends, there's something very exciting that moves in our hearts when we see people en masse moved by a spirit of generosity, isn't there? We're part of what's happening in the Ukraine. Part of our tithes and offerings have gone into that very fund that they were talking about, those pastors were talking about, to be part of standing with our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. And friends, it's not like we're new to this. We've seen this in South Africa. We, when the pandemic broke and our crisis response team hit the ground and fed thousands of families during the early days of the pandemic. We saw it when, when the, the riots broke out in KZN and we filled up airplanes with food and we flew it to KZN just to be part of just seeing our family and the body of Christ looked after and cared for. Belinda was telling me yesterday, a woman said, how can I get money into the hands of somebody in the Ukraine? And so she got onto Airbnb and she booked some accommodation that she has no intention of using. I mean, she's not going to the Ukraine anytime soon. But she said, I want you to have this. And the host responded and said, you won't believe it. Those rooms are full of refugees. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll be part of that solution. Amen. <laughs> Friends, there's something beautiful when we see the spirit of generosity start happening in random people's lives. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me that I see glimpses of the nature of God that is placed inside of every single human being. And so, friends, this morning, we're going to continue on that. I love Pastor David. Pastor David, what an incredible testimony. Thank you for coming out 21 years ago. Thank you for coming out 21 years ago and investing your lives, sowing generously into what God is doing in this nation and in this, and in this city. And so, friend, I'm going to be concluding the series on generosity today. And, um, and if you've been with us for the last three weeks, you'll know that Champ kicked us off. He kicked us off um, two weeks ago, and he charged us with obedience. And he said, I want you to understand that this started in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And he reminded us when he looked at the life of Abram that God charges us to be obedient and that obedience leads to his blessing. And then Pastor Simon, Super Si, as some of us call him, last week he kind of then launched from the Old Testament and he landed us in the New Testament and he kind of, and his mission was this, he says, there is a charge for us to stay on mission. There's a charge for us to stay on point and he showed us clearly that when we give of our time, our talents and our treasures, we not only break the poverty mindset, but we allow God to use that newly formed spirit of generosity within us to build his kingdom. And so friends, what we were hoping and what we're hoping and trusting will be achieved and end today here is that as we touch on this concept of the spirit of generosity, that not only will our minds forever be changed, not only will we understand how this fits into God's overall plan for our lives and for the world, but yes, that our minds will be changed, but that more importantly, our lives will be transformed. 
Our lives will be transformed in such a way that we will realize how God wants us to interact with Him. How God wants us to interact with one another. And how God wants us to interact with the resources that He gives each of us to steward whilst we're on this planet. And so friends, I'm going to try and link us from where champs started us in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and then transcend us and land us where Pastor Sai took us last week. And I'm going to track us from the Old Testament through to the New Testament. And where I'm going to start is I'm going to start where champ left us in week one in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, you can kind of follow on the screen. But we're going to kind of end this week with generosity, a call to remember. And of course, if you say, well, what is it, God, that you want us to remember? Let's kick off in Deuteronomy 8. Now, the remember that God wants us to remember is firstly, he wants us to remember a warning. And when the White Bible gives us a warning, how many of you know it's important to pay attention? So let's read Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees. Say, laws and decrees. That I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increases and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I guess the one, you know, the one thing that we can all take a bit of hope in is that it looks like mankind over the last six and a half thousand years hasn't changed much. We both tend to forget. When things are going well, we forget. When things are bad, we, God help us. He goes on and he says, remember that it was I, he led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you that in the end it might go well with you. Remember this. Do not say my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It is he who gives you the ability to create wealth. And so friends, as I was reflecting on the series that we've been going through and preparing for my message today, I was really pleased that the sermon planners chose to call this the generosity series. I was so pleased that they called this the generosity series and not the giving series. They didn't call this the wealth series or the money series. And the reason I was so pleased by that is because giving is something we do. Wealth is something we achieve. But yet, I believe God wants us to look at what motivates us to do and to achieve certain things. And if we are motivated by a spirit of generosity, how many of you know it's not difficult to stay on point? It's very hard to get confused once you start doing good things and once you start achieving successful things, it's very hard to get confused and think, ha, that's just me because I'm motivation. 
is in the right place. And so, friends, I was so thrilled, and that, I believe, is what God wants us to walk away with today, is a spirit of generosity, that internal motivation that gets us to the place where we can do and be and reflect all that He is. And so this morning, I would like to leave us with four reminders, four key principles. In order for us to begin, begin operating with a spirit of generosity, friends, it's important that we understand four things. One is that we need to move from seeing generosity not as a law, but as a lifestyle. Secondly, that we need to recognize that generosity is central to our salvation. We also need to recognize that what we do matters. The stuff we do matters. And why? Because generosity is a catalyst that transforms lives. And so friends, let's join together, let's trust God to take us to a place and land the series in a way that is truly going to be transformational in our hearts and lives so that we can more reflect the generosity of God in all that we do. Key principle number one, from law to lifestyle. Now friends, what we need to understand is that from the very, very beginning, God had a plan. And God's plan was to write his spirit, his DNA into man's heart. He wanted to take that DNA, he wanted to take his spirit, place it in our hearts, and then in partnership with us, we would take that into the entire world, we'd fill the earth with his glory. We all know that that got snookered. We know what happened, Adam and Eve fell, and that plan got put on hold. But on the route back to restoring us into partnership in a living relationship with God, the world went through a time known as the Old Testament. And in that Old Testament, the principles of God's heart were captured in laws. They were captured in the laws so that we would not forget what God's ultimate plan and purpose was all about. But friends, what God wants us to understand, it was never his intention that they be captured in laws. It was always God's intention that they be lived out in lifestyle. And we see the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let me give you some examples. In the Old Testament, in Malachi chapter 3, we see the law of generosity. How we are to bring the tithe into the storehouse, that there might be food in that house. In the New Testament, however, we don't see this law of generosity. What we see is people selling all they have, laying the money at the, disciple, at the, at the apostles' feet, and so that would be distributed amongst everybody so there's absolutely no lack whatsoever in the kingdom of God. Do you see the law of generosity transferred to the lifestyle of generosity? Let me give you another example. There was a law of gleaning in the Old Testament. What gleaning said was this. It said, when you harvest your field, don't harvest everything. Leave the edges. Leave bits and pieces behind so that those that are poor, those that can't afford it, can come afterwards and they can glean bits and pieces for themselves and feed themselves. It was called the law of gleaning. You couldn't go through your vineyard twice. If you missed a bunch of grapes the first time, you left it because it wasn't yours. It belonged to those that couldn't afford, that could come in and glean afterwards. But in the New Testament, there's no law of gleaning. There's a lifestyle of gleaning because what happens is people are meeting in each other's homes and they're sharing everything they have and they're breaking bread together so that nobody is hungry. And so can you see how God moved? His intention was always that we live here as a lifestyle, a lifestyle of generosity. But he needed to move there with laws of generosity. But God's intention always is that we go from law to lifestyle. 
And it's not just when it comes to money. It's not just when it comes to giving. We understand and we see this. The disciples are saying to Jesus, I was told to forgive seven times. How about, Lord, if we do seven times seven? Man, that's like a lot more. All right? Jesus goes, not seven times seven, 70 times seven. And not that you stop at the end of 490, because by the time you get to 490, believe me, there's going to be new things you're going to need to forgive that person for. So Jesus is saying, no, it's not longer about a quantum. There's a lifestyle that I forgive, and I forgive, and I keep forgiving. Jesus says, hey, in the New Testament, he says, you know what? You don't consider yourself equal with one another. You don't consider yourself kind of like based on your social standing. No, you consider others better than yourself. How good? How do I treat people? Better than you. When Jesus is speaking in the New Testament, he's laying out principles. And he says, when you come across a weaker brother, guess what? You sacrifice so that he doesn't stumble. You see the principles in God's word? It's gone from law to lifestyle. And so, friends, I believe that when it comes to the spirit of generosity, the thing that we must stop asking, Lord, is, God, how much must I give? How much must I do? Because there is no answer in God's word. Instead, what we should be saying is, God, what next can I do? What next should I be doing? Not how much, because there's no answer, but, Lord, now that that's done, what next can I do? How next can I serve? How next can I be a blessing? Friends, a number of years ago, God asked me, challenged me. I was in this very auditorium. We were praying. We were spending time together as a family. God said this to me. He said, Dorian, do you have the faith to trust me to eliminate poverty in South Africa? I said, Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just don't have that level of faith. I said, Lord, I... Lord do it. Please do it. Lord, I don't know. I, I just don't have that level of faith. He said, okay, Dorian, I'll tell you what. How about, do you trust me? Do you believe that, would you trust me and have faith to eliminate poverty in Johannesburg? I said, Father, still too big. Sorry, Lord, can't. So then he, he said, Dorian, how about this? Can you trust me to eliminate poverty in every nation, Rosebank? I said, Lord, I'll start there. Friends, from that, a number of initiatives have developed over the years. Every nation business with plenary sessions to equip and mentor and coach young entrepreneurs. Leaders in transformation, which equips students, campus students, with a biblical worldview. The Marketplace Forum tackling current affairs issues like Black Lives Matter and gender-based prejudice and tackling it from a biblical perspective to say, what now is our role as the church? And more recently, Sikule Sonke, which is an initiative that we're launching in Every Nation, Bromfontein, where we're looking at business opportunities and employment opportunities for the member of our Every Nation, members of our Every Nation Church in Bromfontein. And even more recently with Annie and Lumley and a couple of others, launching the Arise and Build Kingdom Fund right here. And what are we going to do with this fund? We're going to disciple and partner with kingdom-minded entrepreneurs who need capital to start or grow their businesses to see God's kingdom established. Friends, God took my faith, the little I had, 
And I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit was patient with me because he put other men and women that are much more skilled, other men and women that have got a much greater gift of faith, and together we're saying, Lord, give us the ability to create wealth, so much wealth, Lord, that there will be no lack in every nation, Rosebank. Lord, that there will be no lack in Johannesburg. Lord, that there will be no lack in South Africa, no lack in Africa, no lack in the world. And friends, to achieve this, it's only possible if we say, God, start by giving us your heart of generosity. And friends, that means moving from a mindset of law to a mindset of lifestyle. That's saying, God, I don't want to have the law of generosity. I want to have that lifestyle of generosity. And it means shifting, Lord, from how much must I do? God, to what next can I do? Key principle number two, generosity is central to salvation. Now, friends, in the last days that Jesus walked on this earth, well, just before he got crucified, there's a number, he spent a lot of time with his disciples downloading truths, downloading principles, equipping them and challenging them laying the foundations of what it means to build God's kingdom. And in one of those times, he was on the Mount of Olives teaching his disciples. And from the Mount of Olives, he would be able to look down and see the temple. He may have been able to look beyond the temple and see Golgotha, Calvary, the very hill on which he'd be crucified a few days later. And one of those sermons is captured in Matthew chapter 25, and it's called the parable of the sheep and the goats. And it says this, it says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will put all the sheep on his right, and all the goats... Okay, no, this is not going to work, eh? Guys, okay, relax. This is not... I'm not the son of man. This is not that time. Um, don't need to move if you're sitting on the side of the room. Hang on, I've got a better idea. Okay, he's got the sheep on the right, and he's got the goats on the left, okay? All right? Okay, so just stick with me here, guys. All right. And what does he say to the sheep? This is what he says. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will say and answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. We're not going to read the rest, but you read the rest. The goats are the very people that didn't act with the same spirit of generosity towards those that were in their oikos, towards those that were in their environment. And as a result, they end up being cast out. Their salvation, it found out they weren't even saved. Because that spirit of generosity was not found inside of them. And so, God goes at length and he shows people that this is a very, very critical thing that he wants us to get. That if we truly are sold out to him, we will have no choice but to act with the same spirit of generosity that we see in his life. 
Those on the right operated in that spirit of generosity, and those on the left did not. Those known as sheep operated in that, and those known as goats were not. So friends, I've been reflecting on this parable for a few months now. And I started asking myself, God, what does a sheep or kingdom business look like as opposed to a goat business? I know it sounds funny, but just stick with me. What, what does a sheep or kingdom family look like as opposed to a goat family? What, what, what does a, a sheep or kingdom church look like as opposed to, Lord, help us, a goat church? And so I began to say stock in my own life and those things that God had been calling me to build and invest in. And I started to assess each of them, and I started wondering, how many of those things that I'm building have sheep qualities? And how many of those things have goat qualities? And so I looked at the business God had given me, and I said, Lord, is this really a sheep business? Or is this a bit of a goat business dressed up in some sheep's clothing? Does it have glimpses of the kingdom here and there? In other words, do we use it to do some cool stuff? Or is it completely saturated and sold out to serve you in whatever it is that you want this business to do? I certainly want it to be a sheep business, Father. But there's too much of goat in this business, Lord. What needs to change? And so a number of things had to change. For one, shareholding needed to change. And so God challenged me and we made 25% of the shares in the business available to new partners or partners that needed to play a more significant role in that business. Value sharing needed to change because God started saying, so the team that builds and achieves these targets that you set them and are not shareholders, what part of the profits do they get? And so value sharing needed to change. And the first chunk of profits we needed to set aside so that the team could share in the spoils and share in the blessing. This was a hard one for me. Control needed to change. Because guess what? God had given me this business. And of course I know what he wants to do with it. But as I started sharing that with others, guess what? They don't think the way I do. They don't make decisions as well as I do. But yet, this was no longer my business. It was our businesses our business to serve to the glory of God. And so decisions I needed to say, Father, I'm going to share control. Not just what you tell me, but what you tell them is what we're going to be doing. And friends, I had to do all of that without just abdicating responsibility and say, okay, it's yours. Because sometimes that's easier, isn't it? Because I knew God had still called me to walk with these men and women, partner with these men and women, have significant influence in their lives and in this business, but yet share it in a way that gave glory and honor of God, that reflected the spirit of generosity. Friends, the fundamental difference between a sheep thing and a goat thing is the spirit of generosity. When Jesus blessed Peter and John, after the night they'd been fishing all night, right? And Jesus says, I'll tell you what, guys, once more, just push your boat out. We all know what happened. There were so many fish that one boat, one set of nets couldn't cope with it. Friends, that's the picture God wants us to walk with. Right now, whenever I start any wealth creation opportunity, the first thing I say is, God, who are you wanting me to partner with in this? Because I can't do them all. And I don't want to do them all because my hands are full, Lord. 
Who do you want me to partner with in this? And how are we going to share this? And how are we going to operate in the spirit of generosity? Key principle number three, what we do matters. Now, even in evangelical circles like every nation, have you noticed that we have a great concern when people start talking about works? Have you noticed that? And there's a good reason for that. Because we think that works have got nothing to do with what God's calling us. But it's not true. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says the following. He says, For no one can lay any foundation other than one that has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now this part, friends, is works-free. This part, the foundation, is works-free. Because salvation is a free gift of grace, right? And in that part, what you've been taught is 100% correct. But guess what? Once that foundation, which is, needs to be infused with the spirit of generosity, is laid, God says we build on top of that foundation. Verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because it will be tested in the fire. And the fire will test the quality of each, man's, each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. So Paul's telling us something. He's saying, listen, guys, the foundation is Jesus. No question, no arguments, that's it. But each of us will build on that foundation. You can build in one of two ways. You can build in a way that's temporal, wood, hay, straw. Or you can build in a way that's eternal, gold, precious stones, and silver. Guess what? Both works are going to go through the fire. Only one set survives. Which tells me, friends, that there's stuff that we can do that can evaporate at the end of time or the stuff that we can do that will pass through into eternity. Now, I don't know about you, but I think God wants us to focus on the stuff that passes through into eternity. What stuff is that? Well, the Bible tells us. The Bible shows us. Firstly, people pass with us through into eternity, right? When we invest into people's lives, when we share the gospel, when they get gripped by the spirit of generosity the way we have been, they pass with us into eternity, don't they? The Bible tells us that talents, gifts, and abilities pass with us. How do I know that? In Matthew 25, it speaks about somebody who had five talents. They turn into five more, into ten talents. And what does the master say? Come and rule ten cities. There's something that happens with talents, gifts, and abilities that transcend through eternity. Two became four, with rule over four cities, and so that transcends. Galatians 5 talks about the gifts of the Spirit. It talks about character traits. It talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We are urged to pursue them. We are urged to make them part of who we are. Why? Because that stuff transcends into eternity. And of course, we saw in Matthew 25 with the sheep and the goats that good works, that um, that there are works of kindness and generosity that pass through to eternity. So what about money? Does money pass through to eternity? Well, obviously not, right? Okay, I mean, no, no, Dorian, okay. But here's the beautiful thing about money. God says this will evaporate. It will. But guess what? I'm giving you an opportunity here to use that money to exchange a temporal asset for an eternal asset. Amen? I'm giving you the ability to take your resources and say, okay, I can't take this stuff with me, but guess what? I can use this stuff in such a way that I can translate temporal assets into eternal assets. You know what it's like, friends? It's like playing Monopoly. 
Now, if you've played Monopoly, you'll know that this is what you use in Monopoly. Now, this is very precious whilst the game is going on. But when you're playing with God, God's saying, guess what? I'm playing with this. Now, you use this, Dorian, build your hotels, do all that stuff. I'm going to pay you this every time I land on one of your properties. Guess what? When that game's over and I walk away with this, guess what? I've still got something of value, don't I? And in the same way, God's saying, all right, Dorian, you've got all of this stuff on this planet. You can't take it with you. It's going to cost you if you use it to build my kingdom here. It will. In the moment, in the game, on these 70 years that you're here, it's going to cost. But guess what? You're going to take that, and you can't take that stuff with you, but you're going to build stuff that's eternal. And friends, that's what God's challenging each and every one of us with. He's saying what you do matters, and you get to take stuff that's temporal, and you get to exchange it for stuff that's eternal. About three weeks ago, I was at a men's meeting, and one of the uh, pastors asked me, he said, okay, Dorian, I like what you're saying. Can you give me an example of things that you have exchanged, temporal things that you've exchanged for eternal ones? I love the question. I said, awesome question. And I started thinking of those big things that I've done in my life, the big things that where I said no to this in order to exchange for that. And every time I came up with an example, I felt a little kind of like, no, that quite doesn't cut it, Lord. That one's not good enough either. And actually, I kind of answered the question really badly. Your benefit, your benefit today is that I've had three weeks to think about what the right answer should have been. <laughs> and I realized why I couldn't answer that question well. Do you know what it was? It's because I don't think God gives us one or two major decision moments in our life to simply convert all this temporal stuff into eternal stuff. But God gives us millions of decisions, hundreds of decisions every single day where we get to decide, Lord, am I building temporally or am I going to build for eternity? Let me give you an example. Sit down with your spouse and you decide, it's time for us to upgrade our car, honey. We could buy, but maybe we'll spend 100,000 rand less and buy that because we'd like a little more headroom in our budget so that when God says do, we're ready to do. Maybe it looks like this. We're going to employ a housekeeper and we're going to pay her five days a week. But we're only going to ask her to come in for four of those days. Why? Because we'd like her to spend an extra day a week with her kids. We want her to invest in their lives so that they don't grow up thinking that I had an absentee mom. And she wasn't able to give me anything more than some money and some food on our table. You see, friends, it's these day-by-day, moment-by-moment decisions where God says, you get an opportunity, hundreds each day, to decide, are you going to build temporal or are you going to build for eternity? Yeah, but what if I'm not quite feeling it? You know, kind of like it's important to feel it nowadays, right? It is. I mean, come on. I mean, if I'm not feeling it, I, even the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. And he does, right? Because that's lifestyle. Cheerful giving is lifestyle living. But let, let me ask you something. If I was your neighbor, would you rather I was a reluctant giving neighbor or a very cheerful, selfish hoarder? <laughs> be honest. I think you'd say, Dorian, listen, it might hurt, and you might not be happy, but please, when I need sugar, you know, please, give me a cup. I want to encourage you, friends. Maybe you're not feeling it right now. Maybe you're kind of like, yeah, but when I'm feeling it, no, forget the feeling. Just do it. 
just do it. That feeling will come. Amen? That feeling will come. God will get us to the place of lifestyle. But we don't have to feel it to be responsible and to do what God's words told us to do. Key principle number four. Generosity is a catalyst that transforms lives, families, and communities. I was going to read Luke 19 to us. I'm not going to read it because we don't have time for us to go through it in all the detail. It's the story of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is a wealthy man. He's a tax collector. He is greedy. He is selfish. He's corrupt. When Zacchaeus goes through a place, there is just turmoil. He is bringing devastation and pain in that community. But it doesn't matter too much to Zacchaeus because he's rich and he can buy whatever he wants. Jesus comes to town. Zacchaeus wants to see this guy called Jesus, but he can't get anywhere near the front because there are no tickets on sale, so he can't buy his way in like he normally would. The community are not very loving towards Zacchaeus because he's hurt every single one of them. And so Zacchaeus does what no wealthy man would ever dream of doing. He climbs up a tree to see if he can at least see Jesus coming past. The community are probably having a good laugh at Zacchaeus, like, ha, 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 dude, there we go, hey, what's it like up there? Not, you, not, you're not the air conditioning you're quite used to, hey, Zacchaeus, you know, they're like really ripping into him. Jesus comes by. Jesus stops. He acts in the spirit of generosity that no one had ever seen before towards the person that least deserved it. Zacchaeus, come down. We're going to go and hang out together. The community are like, Jesus, let's explain something to you here. If you're going to be generous, start with us. He has hurt every one of us. You don't know what you're doing, Jesus. The Word of God tells us, though, that Jesus spends a few hours with Zacchaeus, and his life is completely transformed. So much so that Jericho is completely different the day Jesus leaves. Why? Because Zacchaeus... All of a sudden, after spending time with Jesus, he says, Lord, if this represents all my wealth, half of what I've got, I'm giving to the poor. And guess what the other half, Lord? I know I've got to make right with some people. I've stolen from people. And I'm going to put that aside until I've paid back everybody I've stolen from four times what I took. Friends, how many of you know Jericho was different the day Jesus left, right? Now, guys, if I was putting Jesus' itinerary together, it would have looked like this. It would not have had three hours for coffee with Zacchaeus built into it. It would have looked like this. It would have been, Jesus, we're going to start you up at the synagogue. On the steps of the synagogue, <laughs> preach one of those powerful sermons, Jesus. We know you can. Then, Jesus, we have laid out paraplegic people down the main street. As you walk out the city, if you could just kind of like, you know, heal one or two of them, you know, it's going to be lit, Jesus. It's going to be awesome. And then Jesus, the finale. When we get outside the city, we've prepared this beautiful spot overlooking the Jordan Valley and the Dead Sea. We've got five loaves and two fishes. We know you got the rest sorted. Right? Jesus, the next time you come to Jericho, the, we, the, the people are going to know exactly who you are. But friends, Jesus knew that what Jericho needed wasn't an itinerary like that. Jesus knew that what Jericho needed was a transformed Zacchaeus that lived amongst them when he leaves that city. And so he stops and he responds with a spirit of generosity that nobody saw, nobody expected, and nobody was very pleased with except Zacchaeus. 
And as a result, that city is transformed and their lives are transformed. Friends, you know what? We look at our country and we look at it and we say, Lord, we know what this nation needs to break corruption. We know what this nation needs to solve unemployment. We know what it needs. And it generally means needs something like this. It needs the government should or parliament must or the municipality has to. But friends, when I see the spirit of generosity in Jesus' life, maybe what generosity looks like today is something different. Maybe it's Dorian should. Maybe it's Greg should. Maybe it's Belinda, I want you to. You see, friends, that spirit of generosity starts by saying, God, what are you giving me? And Lord, what can I do to make a difference in this nation that you've chosen to place me? How does Johannesburg look different with the decisions that I get to make? Friends, generosity is a catalyst that changes lives, families, communities, and nations. Let's pray together. If you're here this morning and you've been saying and you've heard what the spirit of generosity looks like in Jesus and you've heard what that spirit of generosity needs to look like in our own lives and you're sitting here and you're saying, man, I need that spirit of generosity. I need to build a relationship with the Father that owns the generous spirit. If you've never been in a place where someone has said to you, do you want to give your life to that spirit of generosity? Do you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? Before we pray and before we go on, I want to pray for you. Is there anybody here today and you're saying, Jesus, I need to make right with you. If there's anybody here, there we go. I see that hand, my brother. Is there anybody else? This is the most important thing we do today is I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. My brother, will you just jump out of your seat quickly? Bring your stuff with you if you can. If anybody else needs to be here, join our brother up front here. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. And I'm going to ask one of the brothers to come and stand with him. Lord, I pray for my brother. And I pray that as you start him on the rest of his life today, Father, that you would give him a spirit of peace and a spirit of generosity in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. My brother, if you're just going to take one minute, got somebody that just wants to share with you. Come on, welcome, my brother. Welcome, welcome. Could you just follow our sister out there? Just please go with her, my brother. There we go. One more thing, folks. Please, you're welcome to please, please follow them. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Follow that, my sister. There we go. Let's give the Lord a praise offering again. Thank you. Friends, we're not going to leave yet because if you're sitting here and you, like me, have been saying, Father, I want to stop saying, Lord, how much must I do? But rather, Lord, what next should I do? If you're saying, God, I want to move from a law of generosity to a lifestyle of generosity, then will you just stand to your feet and let's just commit our hearts and our lives to Jesus this morning and just say, Father, you do this. If you're in your living room and you really mean business with God, then I know it's a little more awkward when you're sitting in a living room, 
and there's others around you. But if you really are saying, God, I want to move from a law of generosity to a lifestyle of generosity, just stand up where you are. And we're going to trust God to move in your place, in your living room, in your study as well. Father, we just come to you this morning. Lord, our heart is that it will reflect your spirit of generosity. Lord, our heart is that you would use it to build your kingdom. Lord, our heart is that you would allow us to build things that are eternal on you as the foundation. Lord, our heart is that you would move us from the law to a lifestyle. And so, Father, we submit our hearts to you right now. We submit our lives to you right now. We submit our plans, our purposes, our assets to you right now. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us right now. God is dropping right now in your heart and in your spirit things that he wants you to do. People that he wants you to contact. He's putting ideas in your spirit to say, I've been telling you to go and do this for a while now. Now's the time. Who are you going to do it with? So Lord, we pray, press down, shaken together and running over in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord a praise offering. Amen.